Good morning, Living Hope. Good morning. As Pastor David said, my name is Jerry Kaiser, and I have been at Living Hope for a while. I actually came to Living Hope uh, the first time we came. Jimmy Bam, Jimmy Bamberger, who's sitting in the back, came all the way down from up north and preached, and uh, that was the first time. So you you can blame Jimmy that we're here. <laughs> it was his fault. Uh, I do want to talk to you today about addiction. It's a difficult subject, and and but before I talk about the problems and how you know how it unfolds, I want to tell you this because it's it's the real important part, and that is is that nothing. Nothing is too powerful for God that he can't heal it. Nothing. And I've seen men that have come in who've been in prison for years and years, that have been in addiction for years, and you heard Todd a minute ago talk about where he was at at his young age, literally physically shutting down. His body was shutting down. And yet God reached out to him through prayer and through learning the truth, and you can see how it changed his life. Now, that doesn't always work that way in Fresh Wind. There's a lot of times that we have men <clears throat> that just aren't ready, that aren't willing to do it. And, I, and there's nothing I can do or, or that God expects us to do to create willingness in him to turn to him. That's something that has to come from within. So, but when I see a guy like Todd, and there's been several, several others, some of them are sitting out here today, makes me smile and it makes me get up one more day and go one more time at it. So uh, I want to tell you a little bit quickly about Fresh Wind so you kind of know. Um, it did start about three and a half years ago. Uh, Living Hope Church helped it get started. I mean, really sponsored it and got it going. Uh, I was talking with Pastor Hope one day in my office and I, I was telling him, I said, you know, you, you just have to work with these men more than a few times. They have to be in long-term care. And I was telling him, I said, you know, if, I, if we had a place, we would just, you know, we'd, we'd work with them for much longer. And he said, well, why don't we just do it here? And I thought, wow. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, that's where it started that day. Uh, and it's progressed since there. As a matter of fact, in the last three and a half years, there's been over 300 men that have come through fresh wind and stuck it out and found some healing. Um, there have been uh, 40 there are 40 men currently in the ministry and in some kind of care at different levels of care. Um, we have over 25 volunteers uh, that will teach. They do everything from teaching to we have prayer teams that pray for the men four days a week. I mean, actually do surgical prayer with them uh, several times a week. Uh, people that help with food, people that help me with my memory. <laughs> all kinds of great help from all kinds of different places. Um, and there's been uh, 35 men baptized in the last three and a half years through Fresh Wind. Um, and, and I say all that absolutely positively not to brag, but to say God is powerful and he, he's working all the time. You never know what Jehovah Sneaky's going to do. You just never know. I'm telling you, I'll have guys that show up and, uh, you know, I think... There's just no way this guy is going to get this, you know? And the servant leaders who are men that helped me in the ministry when I was talking and laugh about this. And they wind up not only going through the ministry, but going into ministry or something. And then I have guys that I just know are getting it who wind up out on the street again and homeless and in trouble again. So you just never know, but he's always working. And we get to see him work, and, uh, you know, I'm honored that he uses us to serve these men, and I really mean that. But 
Addiction is a really is a really big issue, and it needs to be addressed, and it should be addressed uh, from Scripture and, and from, the, from the pulpit, so I'm glad to have a chance for two or three weeks to do that. This first week, what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to try to just give you a real quick flyover understanding of addiction, how it happens and what it is and how to fight it. And then next week, we're going to get a lot more into a lot more detail about how people get hurt specifically and what happens when they get hurt. And so next week will be a lot of fun. Earl Del Martyr, who helps me in the ministry, and I are going to go back and forth up here and talk about different aspects of that. So that will be a lot of fun. And the third week is a surprise. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen that week. We've got a bunch of good stuff cooking for the third week. So uh, y'all be here and hang in there. Uh, and and you get a, you know, you're going to get a chance to see the glory of God as he heals people. You hang in there for two or three weeks. So let's start by maybe defining addiction, what it is. <clears throat> addiction is in play. <clears throat> when a person plays substance, activity, or ideology becomes what you think about when you wake up in the morning, what you plan for, what you hide from others, and what you spend your money on, what causes guilt or shame, and what you try over and over to eradicate only to find yourself in that same cycle again. So addiction is not just drugs and alcohol. Addiction is drugs and alcohol, of course, but it's also gambling and there's sexual addiction. Uh, there's some people who are addicted to work, believe it or not. There's some people who are addicted to power. Uh, there's all kinds of addictions. Um, so addiction goes deeper than obsession or compulsion. It's giving my heart, it's really worship. Um, uh, you know, a little while ago when we were up here, when they were, all the band was up here, the praise band was up here worshiping, could you not feel the Spirit of God just carrying you away? I mean, I did. Yeah, and... and you know, I just felt it carrying me away, right? Because we were in the right place at the right time, worshiping the right thing, right? But sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we worship other things, and that's when, when the trouble starts. Uh, so uh, it's given my heart and soul over to something that I falsely believe will ease my pain and provide an outlet for my frustration at being out of control in a world that hurts me and scares me or leaves me alone. <clears throat> so really, addiction at its root is just sin. That's what it is. Anytime you turn away from God and turn to something else to help you, it, that by definition, that's sin, because you had to turn away from God to turn towards it, and that's what, and that's what sin is. We're turning away from God and worshiping other things. Um, and it's not even the thing itself that's the problem. It's not even the addiction itself, but it, it's, the, it, it, it's, it's not the addiction itself that's the real issue. What the real issue is the brokenness and hurt that leads us to turn to the drugs or alcohol, right? Drug, alcohol and drugs are not bad in and of themselves. I mean, the Bible does not say thou shalt not drink, and I hope there's no Baptists in here. I'll probably get in trouble. But what it really says is don't be drunk. Right? It says don't be drunk. Alcohol is not a sin in and of itself. Uh, pain meds are not a sin. Try having an operation sometime without them, you know? I'm so thankful that we have pain meds when I go under the knife with a surgeon, right? So it's not the thing that's the problem. It's the fact that we are hurt and broken by the world that we live in, the sinful world we live in, and we turn away from God into something else that's the real issue 
with addiction. <clears throat> if you look at the, uh, if the, look at the definition of the word addiction, if you look at the root of it, the, it comes from a Latin word that's, that's uh, addictus. And addictus literally means surrender to the gods, G, little g, surrender to the gods. So the word itself is actually talking about worshiping something other than the one, in, one true God. Um, and so your habit becomes your place of worship. The Bible calls it idolatry. And unchecked, it will ultimately destroy you. So it, we desperately need to deal with this problem of addiction. Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12 says, it, it says, uh, there is a way that seems right to you. It's the best thing, the very best thing, the only thing. Nothing matters to me more than, than this, but in the end, it leads to death. Uh, it was the best thing until it became the worst thing. So let's talk about the costs that come along with addiction. Um, and there, there are many and, 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 and very large, the costs are very large. According to the CDC, in the United States, $200 billion annually is the cost of just alcohol consumption and alcohol addiction. $200 billion annually. And the annual cost per year of drug abuse is $100 billion. So between the two, there's $300 billion per year on these two alone. It doesn't count gambling. It doesn't count sexual addictions. It doesn't count all the other addictions that I was talking about a minute ago. And every time I turn around, it seems like there's a new one. I'm, I'm not so sure that those telephones we carry around, I'm not addicted to them. I don't know about y'all, but every time I can't, like right now, mine's in David's office back there, and I've already reached for it three times, right? Uh, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, anytime we're, we're in dangerous ground when that starts happening. Um, the average, the, those are just cost, dollars cost. It doesn't have anything, it doesn't say anything about the death and destruction that comes behind it. Um, the gambling cost per year is $50 billion, So you can kind of get an idea the cost of it, the financial cost that we're dealing with. But there's also the cost to families which I get to see close up and personal with the guys that come to Fresh Wind. The broken families, the, the, the wives and, that are no longer willing to be married, the, the mothers. I wish I had a dime for every mother I've talked to on the phone about their son. Uh, we could run Fresh Wind for another year easy. Um, but the damage that actually happens in the family. Most of us know or are in a family that's been affected by the addiction. In fact, Robert Perkinson in 2004 report on drug and alcohol abuse concluded there's not a family in America that has not been impacted by addiction in some way. The current statistic right now is that, well, actually this is for 2000, let's see, this is 2018 before COVID hit, was that 40% of America are addicted to something. With COVID, I'm almost sure it's at least 10, half now. Because anytime, you know, what's going to lead to addiction? Isolation. And, you know, isolation is going to lead straight back to addiction and, and fear that comes with it. I mean, I'm sure COVID's had a major impact. We won't know really probably for a couple of years what those statistics look like. Um, but what happens in the family system is that home is no longer a safe place. Children must pick up after their parents. We learn to live with deception and denial. 
we develop unhealthy coping mechanisms that follow us into other areas of our life. And forget a safe environment. We're just working to survive. That's what's going on in a family that's being affected by addiction. Children are the ones that suffer the most. They don't understand why mom and dad's not there for them. They don't understand why their parents continue to do something that's obviously damaging them and their families. Children in addicted households usually experience greater levels of anger or abuse than those in other households. And then there are many babies that, that, that are born physically dependent on one drug or another. Most families struggling with addiction eventually come apart, and I see that all the time in Fresh Wind. Um, families, uh, mothers and fathers, that won't talk to their children anymore because they've been lied to and hurt so many times, they're afraid to talk to them. Uh, wives that are no longer willing to be married because of addiction, because of the drugs and alcohol. It's devastating to the family. The good news in that is I do get to see when these same men get close to God and get some healing, there's nothing beyond God's power to heal, and he starts healing families. And fa I see families come back together, and they're stronger than they've ever been. Um, so the other cost to addiction, or one of the other costs to it, is the person, yourself. What is the cost to addiction? It keeps you away from the real God, and it can keep you out of the kingdom of God. So there's a cost to society, there's a cost to families, and then there's the cost to you, the individual. Proverbs 23 warns about alcohol abuse. Listen to this. Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Don't join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. That's pretty powerful scripture right there. When you're addicted, you're basically out of control. You, can't, you can convince yourself on your control. You can tell yourself, I could stop at any time, right? But you can't. It's out of control. Um, and what I see happen is that the addicted person, whether it be male or female, I work with men mainly, the, the addicted man is a completely different man than the one that's clean. It's, it's like they're two different individuals in the same body in, in, a, in an unusual kind of way. The addicted person will do anything to get drugs or alcohol, anything. They'll lie, steal, cheat, I could go on and on. And the men that are here know what I'm talking about. But then once they come close to God and get some healing, they're a completely different person. They're not, you wouldn't even recognize him. So addiction is a huge problem. There's a high cost to families and, and individuals. Uh, but, let, but now that I've told you about all the problems with it and all the cost. Let's talk a little bit about how we might can understand it. What happens to lead a man or a woman into this cycle? How, how does that develop? We're going to get a little snapshot of it today, but next week we're going to get real deep into hurts and how they, uh, how they manifest and what they do, what they make us believe. But today I, I, I do want to talk about it to get ready for next week. Addiction begins with hurt, which leads to escape, which leads to deception, which leads to slavery. Let me say it again. Addiction begins with hurt. It starts with hurt. It leads into escape, and, it, and, and then deception, and eventually you become a slave to it. Uh, it may be loneliness, guilt, or shame, but at the heart of every addiction, there's a deep and lingering hurt that has never been resolved. 
<coughs> excuse me. Uh, I used to have men that would come to me and say, well, I, I didn't have anything happen to me when I was growing up. I don't have any deep hurts or anything. That, that, that There's not anything there. Um, and then over the course of prayer times and counseling, all this stuff starts bubbling up that's happened to them. Stuff that they suppressed or that they are scared to even think about that's, that's deep in their soul and it's hurting them. Uh, so addiction begins with hurt, which leads to escape, deception, and then slavery. So the hurt in addiction is, I call it brokenness. The Bible acknowledges the heartbreaking issues in Proverbs. It says, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear it? Probably heard a little bit of that in Phyllis Steinborn's testimony this morning. A crushed spirit, no one can bear that. God knows a crushed spirit is more than we can bear, and that's why he offers to bear it for us. So addiction begins with hurt. It, can't, it might be loneliness or guilt or shame, but at the heart of it, there's a deep hurt that has to be resolved. Um, that's a scary thought for some people, which is why they continue in their addictions. In fact, the hope, it's the, that's the whole point of their addiction. We don't want to address an underlying issue, and that's why we try to cover it up by using drugs or alcohol or whatever else. Not turning to God with it, not letting him resolve it or heal you from it, but turning to something else. <clears throat> so after the hurt, which again next week we're going to get into how that happens a lot more because there's some real, um, there's some ways we get hurt that, that you can identify and start understanding. What I tell the men is that knowledge brings understanding, and understanding brings change. If you don't know what's happening to you, you're a slave to it without even knowing about it, you know? Uh, and, but if you, have, if you know what's happening, and you start understanding how it happened, then you can change it with God's help. So the second part of this, after hurt, is escape. It's a part of the addiction cycle. We can't bear the emotional pain, so we need to escape our addiction. And we find escape in something that seems so wonderful, something that makes us feel good for a change, something that soothes all the bad feelings and numbs the pain. And to be fair, for a little while, the drugs or alcohol do make you forget the pain. But then not so much, and then not so much, and then not at all but you still have to have the drugs and alcohol. It's a deception. It's not the answer, but it appears to be the answer for a little while. <clears throat> you know, one of the things, as a pastor, I've been in a lot of situations. I've been in crack houses. I've been in all kinds of unusual. I don't want to even go into all of them. But, you know, in my experience, and it, it's been a fair amount, I've never actually seen demonic possession. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm sure it does because the Bible talks about it. But I will tell you this, addiction is the closest thing I've ever seen to it because the addiction owns the person, drives everything they do, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm still, theologically, I'm still working on that one, but I mean, I know what it looks like and it's pretty close to it. Um, when we're addicted, we experience this cycle of, temp of temptation that I'm talking about. We eventually, we eventually despair of ever breaking the cycle, but there is hope. With Christ's help, the cycle can be broken. Addiction begins with hurt, which leads to escape. 
when these, I mentioned a minute ago about the prayer chapel where we send men. We actually have four prayer teams now um, that meet right up here in the uh, house of prayer and, and pray with the guys. When a guy comes in, you can see the darkness in his spirit, the heaviness. You can feel it. If you have a spiritual antenna, you can feel it in them. They go to the prayer house, the first time they go even, and they come back and it's gone. Because, because God has moved. They've been taken to the throne and they, they understand and know there is a God and he loves them. And it makes a huge, huge difference. So the third thing it leads into is deception, which is one of the most insidious parts of addiction. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? What a powerful scripture. Uh, People that are struggling with addiction are experts at deception and manipulation. They are the best I have ever seen. You know how you tell when an addict is lying? His mouth is moving. Right? Talk to some of these guys. They'll tell you, right? You know? And so that's something we deal with every day. And I tell them, I say, look, if you're not going to be honest with me, I can't help you. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm called to help you. I'm willing to help you. And God, you know, is willing to help you, but lying is not going to make, it won't work. It just won't work. But that's what it does. It, it leads into deception. The addict's two main tools are deception and denial. The alcoholic hides bottles around the house. The porn addict encrypts the computer files on the hard drive and wipes the browsing history clean. The shopaholic keeps separate stashes of money and hides the receipts. And the food addict purges in private, and the gambler lies about where all the money went. I hear those stories all the time and see it all the time. Uh, and talk about denial. Addicts are masterful manipulators. Just try confronting someone about their addiction, and you'll hear an unending stream of deflection and excuses. Um, and sometimes you have to be real I have to be real tough with that, and I know they think I'm cold-hearted, but I'm not. <laughs> But you have to call a lie a lie and a deception a deception because they're not going to get past where they are unless the truth comes into it, right? And man, it's hard sometimes. And I know some of these guys don't like to hear me talk to them because you have to do it. You have to confront it. You have to confront the lies and say, that's not true. Nobody loves me. No, that's a lie. That's not true. First of all, you know God loves you because he says he does. And second of all, there are people in this world that love you. They might not love you when you're using drugs and alcohol so much, but they do love you, right? So denial and deception is the third thing. The kind of things I hear uh, guys tell in their head, this is the, this, the conversation that goes on in their head all the time. These are the things that I hear them saying. One drink isn't going to hurt, right? That's a lie. I just needed a little something to relax me. I worked hard and I deserve this. I can handle this. I hate that one. When a guy says, I got this, I know he's in trouble, man. Because he don't got it. That's, that's what he has to learn. He's, he's got to be with God and close to God. He doesn't have it. It's not a big deal. This will be the last time. I can stop anytime I want. And then the other side of that is, I can't stop anyway, so why even try? Those are the lies that go on in our thought life, in our head, in our soul when we're struggling with addiction. Um, even chemical dependency is a lie. 
It's a physical lie. It is your body telling you that you'll die if you don't continue with an addictive substance. It's not true. You will go through withdrawal, and you may need doctor's care, but you will not die. But we convince ourselves that we're going to die if we don't get it. Got to have it. Got to have it. We're going to die, right? And we don't just lie to each other. We lie to ourselves. I, I had this friend that I helped with addiction years ago named Jeff who was a recovering alcoholic. And Jeff shared with me how in the old days he would be at home and say to himself, I should go out and buy a newspaper. And so he'd get in his car and drive to the liquor store to get a paper. He would pass several newsstands along the way in convenience stores, but he would always end up in the liquor store to get the paper. Then while he was there, he would just happen to buy something to drink. And then he'd go home and drink and never even read the newspaper. And he told me, every time I left the house to get the paper, I really believed I was going to get a paper. I would fool myself every time. So we even lie to ourselves about what's happening and what's going on. So deception is, is a huge part. Then number four is slavery. Begins with hurt, leads to escape, leads to deception, and then slavery. We're actually enslaved to the drug or alcohol or the addiction, whatever it may be. Proverbs 23 describes this a little bit uh, with someone struggling with alcohol. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruise, bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine and who go to sample bowls of mixed wine do not gaze at the wine when it is red, but when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Wow. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of the rigging and saying, they hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When, I, when will I wake up so I can find another drink? What a powerful piece of scripture. And then in Genesis 4-7, God was talking to Cain here and uh, he says... Um, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Man, that's a powerful image there too. So slavery, it literally leads into slavery. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. I've given you kind of a gloomy picture there for the last few minutes. Let's talk about how you deal with it. And again, this is a quick flyover on how you deal with it. Um, and we'll get into more detail maybe a little bit next week. But in dealing with addiction, the first way is you have to become convinced that God knows you and loves you. There's nothing, nothing more powerful than God's love. There is nothing more powerful. When those guys come back from the prayer house and they've experienced the presence of God and his love, that's what changes them, the presence of God. The same thing that we experienced a little while ago when we were worshiping him. We felt the love of God through worship. And, you know, I was looking around the room, man, it was just, it was alive. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know how the, the praise band did two services like that. I was worn out watching them, you know. But it was the Spirit of God carrying them along. And, and, they, and through that, we felt the return, the love of God for his praises, right? So love is powerful. Love from God and love from his people. So in the ministry at Fresh Wind, 
One of the things that I don't give on is, yeah, you can discipline these guys, you can fuss at them, but you better love them because that's what changes them is the love, right? Sometimes the love does come in the form of, of discipline. I mean, it's, and it's sometimes God disciplines us out of love. So, I mean, that's, that's the pattern that we see. Um, so you have to know in, in, that God loves you. The second thing is that it's a spiritual battle. There is a physical battle. Let me tell you, these guys are struggling and they're in pain for about a week when they're trying to recover from not using. And, and that's going to go away after a while. But the spiritual battle, you can almost see it in them sometimes when I'm counseling with them. The, the being torn apart inside, you know, the, the battle that's raging for their soul in them. And it is a spiritual battle. Um, Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, yeah, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, that's what this is about. It's one of the reasons that when a, a person that struggled with addiction, God has healed them, that they become the most powerful ministers for God. Because they have seen the door to hell. They know what it looks like. And they know that God pulled them away from it, pulled them back to him, right? And so they have, they have a knowledge that maybe some of us, you know, don't have. They have a perspective for sure that some of us don't have. So it's a spiritual battle. You cannot lose hope, the third thing. You've got to know there's hope in God. A lot of times when I'm talking to moms that are trying to get their sons in here, I can feel the loss of hope in their voice, and I'll say, you know what, let's just stop and pray right now, because there is hope. Let me tell you, there is hope, and I know him. I serve him every day, and he's here, and he will give your son hope back and give you hope back. But you have to know that, and they've lost hope. Nothing they're doing is working, and they're just going deeper and deeper in that hole, man. Um, so hope, you have to be convinced that hope, there is hope in God. Psalms 23, I'm sorry, 25.3 says, No one whose hope is in you will be ever be put to shame. And then John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it how? Abundantly, yes. And that's what I tell the guys. Look, this is not abundant life, dude. <laughs> this is not anything like abundant life. But there is, it's available to you. God wants you to have it. So you have to know that there's hope. Uh, the next thing is, is, the, is that you, cannot, you, you absolutely positively need God's help. In, uh, in secular recovery, um, as the world does it, the percentage of people that are able to kick the addiction is somewhere between 3 and 5%, depending on the drug or alcohol, the drug that you're talking about, right? <clears throat> it's, it's, uh, it's right at 3% with cocaine. I can't remember all the breakdowns, but anyway... When you're talking about secular recovery, it's between 3 and 5%. When you're do, in Christian recovery, it's five times that much. Okay? So 20, 25%, right? At Fresh Wind, and I'm convinced it's, only, it's because of the prayer and because of, of that, we, that we give it all to God completely. Our, if you look at our success rate or our percentage, which usually is based over three to five years, depending on who you talk to, it's about 50%, right? 
And even those that relapse, yeah, go God. Even, even those men that relapse, they might relapse for a while, but they, they had a seed planted by God when they were with us, and they come back. And so you really have to look at it over a longer period of time. The, the, average, numbers of, the average number of relapses for someone in addiction, by the way, is seven. Seven major relapses. I know it's hard to hear. It's, it's a little hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, so the other thing you need, you need God, but you need good people. You cannot do it alone. There's no way. You need accountability. You need people to walk along with you. And a lot of times, those people are very often with addiction. Men and women that have gotten through addiction and God has healed, they're the best ones to walk with. They know this monster. They know this line that's living in us. And they know how to help you stay away from it, right? But you absolutely got to have good people in your life. Um, there was a reason that Jesus sent the disciples out in two. Because he knew they were going to need each other, <laughs> right? They need him, but they need each other too. Uh, so you need other good people in your life to help you. And then uh, next is that truth is your friend. You know, where do lies start at? Who's the father? Satan. Every time you're living or believing a lie, it comes straight from, uh, straight from hell. That's <laughs> where it comes from. It comes from the pit, man. All those lies. He's the father of lies, right? And so... Truth is, a, truth is a weapon against him. And I'll tell these guys, look, if you lie to me, I can't help you. You've got to tell me the truth so we know how we can help you, right? So truth is your friend. Um, and we'll get into it a little bit more in the next couple of weeks and go through this in a little more detail. Uh, we're out of time, and I want to save a little bit of time for a couple of questions. Uh, you can text questions. I believe there's a slide for it back there, if you'll put that up for me. Um, and if I need, I got some help. David's going to help with one of the mics, or somebody help with the mics. I want to answer questions because <clears throat> this thing called addiction is hard to understand. These men and women didn't, when they were six, seven, eight years old, didn't say, "I want to grow up to be an addict." Something happened, and it's it's hard to understand how they got there. So, how about some questions about addictions? I got you here. Um, this is kind of a hard question to broach, especially in, in a crowd of people that don't know me. But how many, or have you ever asked the people in the addiction program when they first experienced their first sexual intimate encounter and if that preceded their addictive behavior? So I believe your question is about maybe sexual addiction and no. oh no. I'm sorry I just couldn't hear everything. If a if a first if an early sexual encounter maybe precipitated their addiction. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. High percentage of times. As a matter of fact, uh, with men in general, uh, if there is any abuse when they're a child, uh, you know the sexual nature of who we are is such a powerful part of who we are. Uh, when a child, when a, when a uh, when a child very first starts forming, in just a few days, it's either going to get uh, 
it's going to become a, a male child or a female child, estrogen or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to start forming. So it's at the deepest part of who we are. And so when that's violated in any way before your, your brain is ready to handle it or to understand what's going on, yeah, it's a wound that you can't handle. It's a wound that you need help with. And it will, it very often, in answer to your question, uh, will lead to addiction. By the way, the average age for addiction in America today is 12. That one's a scary one. What are some of the hidden traumas that you've seen bubble up as someone goes through counseling? Well, obviously, one of them I just said a minute ago, sexual abuse or sexual something, a sexual wound of some kind. Um, uh, abuse in general is, is going to wound us in a way that we can't handle. It can be physical abuse. It can be sexual abuse. It can be emotional abuse. Um, it, uh, a family that grows up without a dad or without a mom, that's a wound there. Um, uh, uh, there are just so many. Uh, the most common that I see are in the abuse category, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Uh, those are the most common ones. So, mm -hmm. What are some of the ways Celebrate Recovery can help with those areas? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the, we got Celebrate Recovery kicked off and going about two and a half years ago. Uh, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <clears throat> so in, in Celebrate Recovery, we start with worship, which we just talked about what happens in worship. And we do testimonies, which, you know, the Bible's real clear about how testimony changes us. And then we break into groups and talk about our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Only a third of the people in CR are here for drugs and alcohol abuse. Ours is a little greater than that because we have fresh wind here. But usually it's about a third, so there's depression, there's all kinds of other issues that people deal with, and CR is a great way to do it. You heard Phyllis Steinborn talk about her forever family? Mm -hmm. That's what she was talking about. Y'all, yeah. the body of Christ, but in specifics, her CR family that, that she's been with and loved and cared for. So this, this one, and then I have one, this will be the two last ones, but do keep texting questions and we'll address them in the weeks ahead. Go ahead, Jimmy. What do you make of the idea that alcoholism is a disease? Well, I'm gonna tell you my opinion on that. I don't believe it. I know, I hear that all the time. I don't believe it's, it's a disease. It is true that there's a genetic marker that if you drink alcohol, you have a propensity towards becoming addicted. But not every alcoholic has that marker. And not every person who has that marker is an alcoholic. Uh, the thing about a disease is a disease is something you catch maybe through no fault of your own, right? Uh, but alcohol, I mean addiction, especially alcohol, it is a choice. You are choosing to drink or use drugs or alcohol, abuse drugs or alcohol. And if you ever start believing it's not a choice, it, you're going to have a hard time recovering from it. Mm -hmm. right? That's good. Address the issue of the family, the codependency, the oh, yeah. enabling. What, yeah. what do you say to family members, a spouse, a son or daughter, yeah. who is in close relationship with somebody that's addicted? And yeah, what you said in the first service, I thought yeah. was really somebody good. Somebody asked it in the first service. It's a great question. I probably should. And we'll cover it a little more as we go forward. But um, here's the thing usually about a, an addict, somebody who's addicted. Um, there's almost always somebody in their immediate family that is the enabler. Mm. So, and 
that, that person has been groomed and trained to help them continue the addiction. Believe it or not, I see it all the time, right? And I have moms that tell me, well, I love him. I can't kick him out. And I say, well, you need to love him more. You need to love him enough that you're willing to let him suffer so he'll turn away from drugs and alcohol. And, and it's not easy doing that, right? But it's got to happen. And if you don't let it happen, if you don't do it, you know what's going to happen? They're going to wind up dead or in prison. 80% of men that don't get help in the first five years for drugs and alcohol wind up in prison, not jail, in prison or dead. So as much as I hate hurting them, <laughs> that's a whole lot worse. Uh, it's tough to tell somebody that. but yeah. so It's called tough love. Yes, it is. Absolutely. You know, Jerry, one of the things I appreciate so much about you is you're a real model of truth and grace. And the demeanor you've seen in Jerry is who he is all week. There's that gentleness, but he also has the ability to speak the truth. And that truth and grace is a powerful combination for healing, but also word and spirit. These guys get grounded in the word. They're hearing the word all week, but then the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer and other ministries is what helps set the captives free. So thank you, brother. We look forward to two more weeks of this. Keep your questions coming. Amen. Thank you.